Welcome to So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. If you are trying to evaluate whether real estate is the right career for you, wondering whether you're doing the right things to launch into quick success, or looking for tips and tools you can use today to become a more productive agent, this is your podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. I'm Meredith Fogel along with Valerie Hernois. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't already, it would mean the world to us if you would take a moment to leave us a review, a rating, or a show idea. Um, And when you leave us a review, let us know what you're learning from us that has been helpful. We really appreciate the feedback that we've gotten so far, letting us know what you guys have learned and what you've taken from the show. In our last episode, 18, we gave you a lot of tips about how to be a great buyer's agent. And that was part one of our How to Be a Great Buyer's Agent series. So this is part two today. Um, We're going to be talking more about what to do as next steps once you have a buyer signed as a client and you're ready to help them secure the house they want. We also, in our last episode, shared some surefire scripts to help convert buyer leads into buyer clients. Today, we're going to be sharing some more of those script strategies and helpful tips with you. So we are in a really ultra competitive market right now, probably the most competitive market I have seen since the early 2000s, maybe even a little more sometimes, because I think buyers are using more strategies, right, than even used to exist to win in competitive situations. I have to say, when did I start? 2008, 9, 2010, so 11 years ago. Yep. And right, we thought we were just dealing with the whole competitive thing then. And you have been telling me, because I wasn't for the last one, how it's worse. Right now it's worse. I think it's worse. I think it's it's psychologically difficult because there's this, you know, we're seeing prices leapfrogging one another. So buyers have this mindset of fear of like, are we overpaying? You know, they're looking at the ticket price for the house and worry that they're overpaying for a house. So we're going to talk about how to work with your buyers when they have that mindset. Um, But this, and you know, we usually start with a quote, this quote from Oprah Winfrey (laughs) is one that I kind of love because when we're talking about overpaying, and Valerie's talked about this in podcasts in the past, considering the house as more than just an investment, a house is more than an investment. And Oprah says, I will forever believe that buying a home is a great investment. Why? Because you can't live in a stock certificate. You can't live in a mutual fund. So yes, a house is a great investment, but it's more than just a financial investment. And when you help your buyers to have the perspective and and kind of pivot their mindset to focus on the house as a home, that is also an appreciating asset, that is really helping them to figure out what makes sense for them in terms of value. There's a difference we always talk about between price and value, and there's a value in home ownership that's far beyond the ticket price of a home. Right. Little did I know that I actually was quoting Oprah because I literally have to talk people out of the whole, especially I feel like the younger couples. Yeah. I think they've been told, oh, an investment, an investment. Can I sell it in 10 years for blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my God, why are you worrying about 10 years? Right. No one knows what's going to happen next month. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Once they get past that, I think I quoted that last time that I'm like, do you want like a deal, an investment, or do you want a home? You did, yeah. It's like different. And then suddenly, I don't know, but it's almost like everything's so driven with money, like investment. Can I make it back? I'm like, can you enjoy it for 10 years? And you're always going to be building equity by paying your mortgage. So you're always going to be, you know. Yeah. And I say to people too, there's also such a thing as investment in the quality of your life, right? Yeah. So there are more than just financial investments. Exactly. Is it in the right 
neighborhood, the right school, the yeah. right time, the right street. I mean, all those things have value other than, like, you know how it is. People will overpay for a house that they've been pining for a specific street. Then, of course, money is no object. They're like, <laughs> woohoo, let's just do whatever it takes. Right. So, yeah. So let's talk about what the factors are that are making the market so competitive right now. So one factor is we are in the single lowest housing inventory rate we have seen in 21 years. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy. You know what? I was doing the numbers for the paper and I was doing Ketlin's and Colonnade. Uh There's no single family homes that are not in the millions. There's nothing. I I was stunned. That's when I actually type all the numbers in and see it. Like in my mind, it goes through I could not believe it. This is the lowest ever. That's what you said to your husband. Should we maybe actually yes. sell our house? Actually, I was telling you, this is a funny story. I was telling my husband, I'm like, there's no houses in that 800 to 900. And he's like, don't get any ideas. <laughs> I did have an idea, but then I would have to move somewhere. So right. it doesn't no. make sense, right? Yeah. And then people are not willing to live, or people not willing, sorry, to live in urban pores are now open to older homes. So for a long time, our buyers, and I know you had this with buyers you were working with, they wanted like, you know, everything updated. They wanted right. no compartmentalization, that open floor plan, the high ceilings, all of that that you don't see in many older homes. Now they don't care. Now they're like, bring it on. Bring me the older home. I'll make it what I want it to be. Right. Or now they want that versatility of compartmented living space for work, live, office. I know somebody was saying that the open floor plan may be dead. Really? Which is true. I get it. I mean, I've always liked the more traditional, like our little Kentland's homes. But you're right. Like a lot of people were saying, now this open space, when you have two kids and a computer, your husband at home, and you, that doesn't work. Yeah. Everybody's kind of in each other's... I know people will put partitions up because really? they need that, even just like the visual division. Yeah. Uh, people working from home, exponentially higher. In fact, the um, prediction right now is that 75 to 80% of people will continue to work from home for the foreseeable future. That's crazy. I know. So people will want the houses with a room they can make an office. Yeah, yeah. And that the option to work remote or flexibly may be indefinite moving forward. And then the, the consumer isn't spending the money or focusing on what they were pre-COVID. So many have found themselves with funds all of a sudden to make a move a reality. So interestingly, we're seeing two things. One is Homeowners are spending money on their houses. Obviously, if you needed anything done to your home, you know how hard it is to get somebody out right now because right. they're so in demand. But people who are in these older homes often are bringing them up to market expectations by doing things like renovating baths and kitchens and updating the general decor, um, opening those up to the consumers, looking for those floor plans. And then we've got those move up buyers. Valerie and I were just talking about those who got the money. They've got. Right. They didn't go on the ten thousand, twenty thousand dollar vacation this year. So now they can put that toward a down payment right. or a closing cost on a new home. So, Valerie, let me ask you. When a buyer asks, because right now buyers are like, well, you know, it's, I mean, you can't last forever, right? It's going to cool off. Whether it's better to wait until the market cools a little bit, what do you tell them? You know what? That's kind of a catch-22 for me because I think it's going to be individually, like their need, their wants kind of thing. But the market, like you were saying, the appreciation and everything else. So anything they're looking at, like we were saying in our meeting yesterday, that was 400000 today might be 430 if they wait. Again, the problem I'm having with my buyers is there's nowhere to move up to. So we're kind of in a, in between, like, should we sell your house at that appreciation? 
and then just move somewhere until we can find point B. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of harder, but mm-hmm. I think the home prices are just going to continue to rise. Absolutely. And right interest now. rates are staying low. They said for the next year, they're not touching them. So Right. But at some point, they will go up. So when we see those two factors start to dovetail, so right now, we have seen a 5.8% on average appreciation. That's crazy. I know. Since COVID began. The forecast before COVID was for 3%. So it right. was still a healthy forecast. And 3 was normal. Normal high. Yeah, 2 to 3 normal. is right. about normal. So there, there is a cost to waiting because that is, like you said, going to continue. And then when you factor in rising mortgage interest rates, so that 2.63 or whatever it is right. today, is a 3, 3.5 in 12 months, plus 5.8% more for that same house. Now the buyer's priced out. So that, I think you're right. You have to, to tell the story individually. So if they have the means, perhaps, right. or their income will catch up or they're going to save more money or whatever it is that puts them in that same price range in 6, 12, 24 months, maybe there's not as much of a cost to waiting. But if they're not, and now is the time because they can afford the monthly payment. So take that ticket price off the table. Can they afford the monthly payment because of the combination of the down payment they can make the low mortgage interest rate and the cost of the house, then they're not going to be able to afford that same house right. in a year down the road. And then they're going to be kicking themselves and that regret, you know, might come back to bite and, them. But don't you feel some people are like the opposite. They're like, Oh, should I sell now? Or should I wait until May when I can get so much more for my house? But I'm like, okay, whatever you're buying is going to be just as much. So yes. it's almost, you know, people get, they're either get cold feet and don't want to do anything or they get greedy on the, oh, wait till it's more. I'm like, it's exactly the same. You're going to be paying more for the next house, you know, right. your well, next home. And the message really is there, if it works for you now, right. do it now. So exactly. if you have the equity in your house right now yes. to grab that buyer, again, remember, that buyer may not be here in six months. They may have bought something. They may be priced out of the market. If you're right. going at, you know, you're going at nine today and you want to go at 950 in 12 months, Maybe you can, but now you've lost some of your buyer pool. Right. So if this makes sense right now, and like you said, enables that seller to move to their next phase of life or their next or their ideal house or climate or wherever it is they want to move to, right. why would you wait? I know. So now that you've explained to the buyer that now is the time for the buyers for whom it is the right time, how do you help them ensure that they get the house they want? And this is where you really have to have the tools and strategies that a good experienced agent has. And we covered all of this in episode 15 when we gave you the tips and tools that you can include in your offer to make it the most competitive and help your buyer win the house of their dreams. Um, But today we're going to talk about some of the more unique things buyers and their agents are doing to stand out. And these are things, like I was saying, we weren't seeing so much back in the early 2000s market, but people have really had to become creative with the way that they're competing So I want to ask you, Valerie, because as we've talked about, I mostly list. So these are things that I'm seeing coming to me when an offer or multiple offers are being presented. So I'm interested to see your take on whether these are tools that you use, whether they've been effective and whether you would recommend them. So the first one, and this is the most common one, I think, is using an escalation clause with escalations far above comps. We see this a lot. I know. And you know what's funny? Um, I remember this was not far above the comp, but I remember telling someone he was the nicest young guy and he had gone to Princeton University. So he was very brainiac, very nice. So he probably thought real estate is so easy, whatever. (laughs) So of course he didn't listen to me because he's like, let's put in an offer. I said, we should do an escalation clause because this is a hot property in Lakelands. We may not get the chance to do another offer. 
So I call him back, of course, somebody else got it. I don't know if they escalated or they were like more, but he's like, wait, wait, wait. I thought we were going to get a chance to actually. And I'm like, no, I told you that it, it may never come back. So it was funny. Then we saw a second house. And this time it was funny because we have talked about it, forgot about it. And he goes, this time we'll do it your way. <laughs> Even though, like I said, he was a total brainiac and he yeah. thought he knew better. But until we didn't use it and he saw it, he didn't trust that that was the way. It is too bad. Sometimes they have to learn. But you're so right. People don't give you a second chance. And, and you know, buyers, even though we tell Especially them all now. say, if you've got a bird in the hand, you can sign. And that's the offer the seller wants. You sign it. You don't go back to the exactly. second best. But I did have where we actually had an escalation clause and somebody else did. Ours was pretty high. Theirs was unreasonably high. So it wasn't taken seriously. Oh, really? Because they have the appraisal contingency. Uh, so if you offer me 200000 more, knowing that you're going to come back with a yep. notice of appraisal, uh, bring the pricing down, then that's ridiculous. So they almost said, that's ridiculous. And then we got it. So. You can go high, but don't go so high that you think you're outsmarting the listing agent by knowing that that's really not. Exactly. A, a good listing agent will see right through that and go, well, yes. that's the appraisal contingency. In exactly. Itself. The exactly. price is almost irrelevant. Good, yeah. good pro tip there. Um, and then what about getting fully approved for financing prior to writing the offer? Totally. I yeah. literally first to go out and look at things, they should really in this market that we have like two seconds to put in the offer. Yeah. Totally. Yes. And then use a good lender. Again, we, I think we talked about this before yeah. of the lender, like either reaching out or emailing. I actually put it, which I know we're going to talk about it later of the synopsis. Yeah. I put the lender's name number and I said, he is ready to, you know, available 24 seven. And they put, and with my lender, he's always like, you're in good hands with Valerie. So we play off each other because we work together 10 years. So that's so important because literally when you get ABC mortgage that you printed from the internet, that's worth nothing. Right. So yeah, very, very important. Now, how do you feel about writing letters to sellers? So this is actually something that did start back in the early 2000s. And right. Do you like the cute little picture of the family? And I sent an 8 by 10 baby picture once. I there did not get those. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they hated children. I did not get the house. And they did feel bad. When I saw the sellers later, they're like, oh, that baby. And I'm like, yeah, he's not going to get that house, is he? <laughs> so I kind of shamed them into that. So I have to say that didn't work. But with my other couple that the wife had, you know, whatever, we needed this house. That tug at their emotional heartstrings. Literally, they wanted to meet at the end because she's like, I want to sell my house with purpose. So you never know if it's someone like that, but if it's someone that's just money, it doesn't matter what your letter says. Like if they're just looking at the bottom line, what they're one of So in like in this case, they didn't write a letter, but I made sure they knew who these people were and why they needed the house. So almost like I wrote the letter subtly, not annoyingly, but I was kind of like, hey, here's the people that need this house and they loved it and their offer, the offer was good anyway. But I feel the emotional story totally, totally for this one client. The seller wanted to sell it to someone. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I will say I have been warned in past brokerages about putting a picture of a family because of fair housing. Yes. You don't want I can to totally. They were yes. picked because of, you know, a fair housing violated reason. Oh my God. Yes. That would look bad. Yeah. Um, but I agree that pulling it at heartstrings and sometimes I'll have sellers who are like, it's all, it's a business deal to me. It's all, yes. it's, I, I, I'm not, you know, wait, I'm not waivable that way. And then they read the letter and you can see them soften right. and they're like, oh, they sound just like us when we bought the exactly. house. Exactly. Exactly. Like I had, I can't even remember who it was that I was like, oh, even Mike Burdine. 
I sold it to another Mike. Right. And I was like, Mike, it's you 10 years before. <laughs> it's like another story for this little condo. Yeah. And he's getting a dog just like him. So he actually, they bonded on a you know, weird, sometimes right. there's no bonding going on. Right. But in some, it really works. Yeah. Or it's meant to be in a weird way. Yeah, but, I yeah. agree. Now, how do you feel about writing offers with no contingencies. And I will tell you, I just wrote an offer for somebody oh last week. We escalated high. No, we put the home inspection, but no right to negotiate, nothing else. Right. And somebody else put a totally clean offer. Well, I got to tell you, no, I literally, I think I asked you and we didn't put anything. It makes me nervous. I don't like it. It's like, there's no way to get out. I put the home inspection with no, uh, ins- home inspection, no, no right to uh, negotiate. Correct. Yeah. No right to negotiate. Then she called me to see if I would get rid of that. So even, so this is the couple that needed this house. So literally they were in front of me. I'm like, they're saying it's ours if we waive that. Yeah. Oh my God. It's crazy. It's I would only do that knowing that a house is in good condition. Like I got a good vibe from that house. The agent, literally you could eat off the floor. You could, all the components were new. That any other house, I would have been like, you are crazy. I'm telling you not to do it. But if you want to do it, I've told you, I think I would even put it in an email because I felt so such anxiety going to the home inspection because of course they're going to forget they chose it and go, you didn't tell me to get out. I'm like, there's, there was no HOA to get out. There was nothing to get out other than dying before you. And maybe then you still have to buy it. So I didn't like it at all, but I have to say it's the name of the game. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it's it. It's insane. Yeah. It's it too much. To be, I don't like it. It's tough. And I, I think, like you said, it has to be with full consent and disclosure yes. about the risk factors to your buyer. If they then, of their own volition, decide that this is what they want to do, again, get it get it in writing. Really good idea. Get an email yeah. from them that says that you would Because I think it. I had called you and you're like, that's what you're going to do. I'm yeah. like, oh yeah. my God. Like, I needed to hear it from someone else, but I'm like, it almost seemed like unprofessional for me yeah. to let them do it, to be honest. But guess what? They got the house. They're fine. But yep. Now, how about pre-inspecting? Are you doing that at all? You know what? I did one. I don't really love it. I don't love it to do it before. It's always like a rush to it. It feels like you don't really have the house anymore. There's other people in there. So I know that's a thing more like south of us, but this that always does it, even in a not hot market. Right. But I don't like, I don't really use it unless someone else wanted. I did one and they hated it. We never even got to. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I we will say one here, Chestertown, and it did it. Huh. I will say as a listing agent on a different Chestertown, we just had someone pre-inspect. Right. And it... And the agent, who is a, a mostly southern eastern agent, so he's used to using it. Yeah, she said, "I, you know, I, I don't come in with home inspections, so contingencies. So I need to, we need to go ahead and pre-inspect. Will you allow that?" And got permission. Right. Um, we actually thought it was great because now they're in super, super solid. So they have right. no other contingencies with you. Has to oh, be that's true. That's right. So that's the tricky part. But in this case, the sellers completely understood the situation. They wanted to know if there was something that was going to be an issue right. either with these buyers or a future buyer. And as it turned out, these buyers were great and moved forward. Hmm. Uh, making a good impression on the listing agent. We talked about that a yes. lot. It's so huge, right? It's Building so a good relationship. I always tell um, my clients, it's like recording. Yeah. The, she has or he has the keys to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So every time when they're super mad about something or whatever, I'm like, okay, I can't say it like that to them because do you want that house or you don't want that house? (laughs) Like it might make you feel better that you say, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. But 
So literally, I've always said, kill them with kindness until you have to be strong. And I feel that's even better because then they know, okay, you've been even keel, nice, normal, whatever. And then suddenly you're like, wait a minute, we didn't agree to this or you didn't do that or whatever. And then you're being forceful. Right. But yes, it's almost like a courting relationship. And I mean, it makes everything so much easier. You it know? does. It does. And more importantly, it helps your buyers get the house that they want. Well, exactly. <laughs> focus on the big picture and take the engine out of it is so much of what we do. Exactly. And then along the same lines, calling the listing agent first to find out what is most important to the sellers. I am always flabbergasted that I get multiple offers and the offers either come to me with no forewarning or no contact from the buyer's agent first asking simple things like, what would the ideal settlement time frame be for the sellers? That's a pretty big right. item of value in most contracts. So Ooh, it's, it's almost like you can't write. Like I can't write without knowing that because what right. do we offer? A rent bag? Do we do right. a quick settlement date? I mean, I know if it's empty, they probably want it quick, but right. you never know. Yeah. And, and so there's a house on Cantops we have under contract right now where in this particular situation, the sellers needed a uh, long settlement right. and wanted a, perhaps an optional rent back so that they could find the house that they wanted. Three offers on that house. Two agents did not even ask. The other agent who is the buyer who's under contract with right. the house now called me and asked me, you know, would this, what do they want? What are they looking for? As it turned out, it all lined up perfectly. The buyer was the perfect buyer to give them the time they needed. The other two, as I said, didn't even ask, didn't even consider the other two because for these sellers, that time to find the house that was the most important was the most Mm -hmm. important. It trumped price in terms of of importance in that contract. Yep. Well, and it humanizes you as in, oh, I'm Valerie from Old Line and you're already starting that bonding as opposed to, and I'm sending you an offer. I said, I'm going to text you, make sure you received it. Sometimes those files are so big that they might not even get it right. if you don't, you know, you or you go to junk mail. That happens to me all the time with the big files. Yeah. And then it's weird. It's almost like they start to like you or to form a relationship. So sometimes it's funny. I did that with one here on Main Street and I didn't get it. And he felt so bad because I'm like, wait for me. I have a really good offer. <laughs> and remember, that's the one that then his fell through. Oh, yeah. And he's like, Valerie, I have good news. But we had gone under contract. Actually, that's what closed today. Right. We right. ended up buying something else. But yep. karma, he should have picked us. But whatever. <laughs> exactly. And writing a clean offer. We've talked about this before. But make sure you're writing an offer with all the initials where they need to be, all the signatures where they need to be, the buyer's names, the date of the offer in the right places. Very and you know important. what? It's that's funny. Like, you taught me that. Like, I hear you talking about if you appreciate it or don't. But on the other side, like if your listing agent has missed the tax records or the plat, I never go like, where are they? Blah, blah, blah. You know what? I just go get them. I put them in the back. Right. It's like a nice karma as opposed to being a total. I mean, some yeah. people are so annoying. I'd be like, well, you didn't complete this or that. So I just put it in and I kind of say, I'm like, hey, I added them to the end. They're with the disclosures, whatever. Yeah. And then that's appreciated. So, yeah. yeah. And then, right. They're like, oh, she's nice. She was like, you know, proactive as opposed to complaining already when the transaction hasn't even started. Exactly. Because then you go, oh my God, she's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> right? right. Exactly. You already know at the beginning. You know yeah. what's funny? I have a story. Because I always tell my clients, let's not be difficult to work on their contract. Yeah. Because if you're already, they're always when I ask like these weird little specific questions that we don't even have to worry about yet. I said, I totally get your point and I want, I'm going to get you an answer. I said, but let's not ask before because all they're going to be is like, ooh, that couple sounds very picky. Yes. So be picky after. Once you're already on the hook, they can't get out of the contract. Only you can. Such a good tip. And I don't encourage them to be picky, annoying. Just there are detailed questions 
Yeah. But I want him later. Literally, yes. as a listing agent, if you got like 10 questions and you haven't even picked me already, you would be like, oh my gosh, like these that people is, are going to be. Yeah. For those of you listening, that is such a good tip. And I cannot tell you how many times as a listing agent, that is a differentiator. And mm-hmm. I will say to my sellers, now, I got to tell you, this agent has already called me nitpicking about this, this, and this. So I'm yes. not sure how this transaction is going. To I go. always actually do it as a date. I always go, your first day, you're totally fine. I'm like, let's speak to the second day to ask the question. <laughs> like, do you want kids? Do you want <laughs> What was your last relationship like? Exactly. Exactly. It is like dating. Yeah. So it's funny. And then speaking of being nice and proactive, the offer summary that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And for me as a listing agent, when I get like a bullet pointed list of, hey, here are the general terms that I can just sort of encapsulate and yes. even just forward to my seller makes my life so much easier. But don't hide anything. No. And I always, yeah, I always put like a sales offer, a subsidy if I'm asking for it. Yep. Because you're right. These are things you can miss and you guys are getting like, what, seven offers or something? Yeah. So it's easy to put it there. So what I have is a little template and I use the same one over. So I, And then if I'm not using home inspection, I just delete that line. But I know I'm covering but if I'm not asking for a subsidy, I'll put seller subsidy. None. Oh, that's good. Like, I'll leave it like, hey, I could have asked you, but I'm not doing it. That's okay. Kind idea. of to highlight yeah. how good we're being. Yeah. And I always write settlement day, let's say September 30th, but we're flexible. I'll put in parentheses. We can go upward if I don't have like, a, even if she said, oh, they're flexible, I still put it in there in case they change their mind and they want to stay an extra month at the house. That's perfect. So, yeah. Yeah. And then communicate professionally. So we kind of covered this already, I think, talking about keeping emotion out of communication. Um, And I think, you know, knowing when it's appropriate to text, when it's more appropriate to email. That's what I wrote. I wrote communicate in their style. Because I had someone, oh my God, I had the like nicest Hispanic agent from Virginia. All he wanted to do is talk on the phone all the time. Like he's like, you can't tell the emotion or if you're mad or whatever. So we just spoke the whole time and it was fine. And then I have people like Jay, which I love, this young agent for Mike's house. And we texted the whole time. So he would text like at 10 o'clock at night and I was watching British Baking Championship and I would text back. But that's how he could, because he's younger. So it's whatever. Like, I didn't pick up the phone. He doesn't want to talk to me. He just wanted the answer. Right, right. Yeah. So getting their style, again, it's like dating, yes. right? Like, yes. I just because, right, I want them to like... Not like me, but like my clients and keep moving Absolutely. forward. Absolutely, like any other kind of prefer. process. I mean, you're you, you're now selling your buyer's Correct. offer to the listing Correct. agent. So that's part of our job. We have right. multiple layers of sales in this that's job. That's why when that's agents are crazy, like sometimes they are like a like a stumbling block in the yes. transaction. Yes. And then you meet the sellers at settlement, and you're like, they're so nice, right? And you realize their agent was crazy. Exactly. <laughs> Trying to do a service does a total disservice. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah, they really do get in their own way. And then you go, how have they been successful? Or how are they Because I business? feel they feel being like really like cutting you off or being mean or being strong, like in a weird kind of way is giving them their money's worth or something, which is the total right. opposite. Right. That's why in a weird kind of way, I think people see it that way because I always have to explain to my people, the fact that I'm not screaming at her is not that we're not going to get, we're going to get that credit, but we're not going to get it screaming at her. We're getting it because she has to give it to us or I can prove it or we can walk out. So yes. you know what I mean? But it's weird because sometimes I always say, don't take my passivity. Is that the word yeah. for not actually doing it? You know what I mean? It's because I'm not running around with my hair on fire right. Right. that it's not happening. It's happening. It's just like, I'm not crazy. 
Ladies and gentlemen, those are the words of an experienced buyer's agent who gets her buyers to prevail in competitive offer situations. Yes. Any other ideas of what you can do to to help your buyer? I mean, that we haven't already. No, the only other thing I was going to say every time, like they come up with a helter skelter idea of what to do. (laughs) Like we've done it for so long that I literally, I'm sure people look at me. They're like, she's a witch. Like I can tell you exactly what's going to happen with whatever we're asking. So I'm like, okay, we can try it, but I'm letting you know they're not going to take this. Or I, we can ask, but this is going to happen. So I'm always, always, always doing that. They're like, how about this way? I'm like, but. So it's kind of weird. I feel playing that game. I feel at the beginning they don't take it very well. Like, why don't you try it? I'm like, I already know the answer. Right. But sometimes you have to try it with yeah. them so right. then they know that you're right. Like right. the guy with the. Escalation clause, like he's like, oh my gosh, she was right. She didn't go to Princeton, but she was right. <laughs> I did go to Boston College, but anyway, you so, went to the school of real estate for the past eleven years. Exactly. So it's kind of weird. So that, so like, yeah, going through it, kind of explaining, but yeah. then, yeah, like I said, I can do all these scenarios, and then they can choose because when people say, "What should we do?" I'm always like, "Well, A, and this will happen. B." And then I always say, I think we should do C, but we're, which one do you want to do? Because that way I feel comfortable. Like, okay, yeah, I did all I can. I can sit back later and go, I told you. Scenario A was what I told you would yeah. work, and you picked C. So next time. You're educating, being a consultant, and helping people ultimately make the best decisions for them, which is what You are educating the whole time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So next show is going to be part three and our final part of our How to Be a Great Buyer's Agent series. We're going to be talking about how to guide the buyer through the purchase process, setting expectations, how you refer to specialists, negotiating the offer, the home inspection, which Mm -hmm. Valerie is really good at navigating, and then what happens at settlement. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please remember to leave us a review, a rating, or a show idea. I'm Meredith Fogel, along with Valerie Hernwell. And this has been So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. See you next time. Bye. We are so grateful you joined us today on So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. If you're still not sure real estate is the right career for you, tune into our next episodes. If you're more sure than ever, tune into future episodes for more tips, tools, and insider secrets that will help you launch into productive action and achieve quick success. Just a reminder that we love reviews. Please let us know what you like best about this podcast, what we could do better, ask us questions, or send us show ideas. Check out our show notes page for our contact info or visit our website, therealestaterainmakers.com, for access to the tools, tips, systems, and other great resources we mentioned on the show. I'm Meredith Vogel. And Valerie Hernandez. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.